Bible prophecy is often misunderstood and misapplied, which leaves many people confused or fearful. But when the Bible is studied in its proper context, prophecy becomes clear and understandable. There is no one we can trust more than Jesus, and His words will speak specifically to us as we study them in their simplicity. Welcome to Jesus on Prophecy. Well, welcome to Jesus on Prophecy again. Tonight our presentation is a question that many people have wondered about. Jesus' answer to evil and earth's suffering. And so we're going to delve into this topic tonight. But before we do, I'd like to ask that we invite the Holy Spirit to guide us in our time of study together. So if you wouldn't mind praying with me for a moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for another night that we could meet like this. What a privilege it is for us to study your word and to learn the profound truths that you can reveal through your Holy Spirit. So we ask for that Holy Spirit to be our teacher and to be our guide, to give us a clearer picture of Jesus and uh, what he is doing right now as we speak. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So when you look at earth, from outer space, uh, you see such a beautiful picture of a spherical blue, green, and white that makes it appear that everything is perfect and right from just looking at it. Isn't it wonderful? And, and what could be wrong with such a beautiful place like Earth? But when you see the realities of everyday life, we know the opposite is true. Many tears flow every day from those whose hearts have been broken. Tragedies like death, disease, abuse, the pain that many ensure our planet is anything but peaceful. When we look at the challenges of our world, many are naturally prone to ask, who's responsible? Some want to blame God as a tyrant or God who just doesn't seem to care. He's indifferent to the sufferings of the world and those around us. Others refuse to believe in Him at all because of the never-ending saga of pain and suffering and death. So the question is, throughout the ages, that has entered the heart of every Christian and atheist is, if God is so good, why is the world so bad? And also we can even say, if God is so good, why does He allow bad things to happen to good people? It's definitely a fair question, is it not? And one that we are going to answer tonight. Some people come to the conclusion that God must hate them. And it's the only explanation for the problems that they face. Others believe they're just not good enough for God's blessing and that God cannot care less for someone like them. They may think that they have done too much bad in order for God to love them. And many are in such a state. But tonight, I want to direct you and your minds to a precious promise that God has given you. In Jeremiah 31.3, God Himself says, I have loved you with a what kind of love? Everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. So Jesus gives us a promise tonight that His love is everlasting. That means it does not change based on your actions, whether good or bad. His love is based on His never-changing goodness, not on our goodness or badness. God is faithful 
through thick and thin. His love draws us into a relationship with Him, and His Word begins to change us and make us good as we yield ourselves to His Spirit and His Word. And tonight, we're going to pull back the curtain of the spiritual world and see where this evil on planet Earth began and why it continues today. This is going to be one of the most enlightening studies you'll probably ever faced and is going to give us some very powerful answers to some of the most difficult questions. So are you ready to get into this topic? Do you have your Bibles? Okay, like I said before, you're not here to hear what I have to say. You're not here to hear what man has to say here up front. But we're going to let the Bible speak. And so I want you to get your Bibles, and we're going to let the Bible give us the answers to these questions. It's so wonderful to see so many of you here tonight. And I'd like to ask uh, those who are table leaders uh, in a particular table that you uh, get ready to choose someone in your table to be ready to read a verse. Okay, So that way we're not waiting. Uh, So when we call your table number, you're ready with someone who's willing to read a verse. Okay, So that way we'll kind of... Uh, expedite the the process. All right, so uh, just take a moment to do right that right now before we get into this. Get your Bibles and table leaders. Determine who's going to be ready to read when your table is called upon. I'll give you a minute to do that right now. All right. That shouldn't take too long. So now we're going to get into our question. Question number one. What brought on this struggle between good and evil? That's our first question for tonight. And prophecy reveals a struggle between good and evil, between Christ and Satan. Good angels exist, but so do evil angels, right? But has evil always existed? Or did it have a beginning? Well, the Bible's going to answer this as well. So let's take a look at Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 is page 1182, 1182. Revelation chapter 12, and you're going to see something quite fascinating about the origin of evil. How did evil evil come about? Revelation chapter 12 is where we're going. Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 through 9, and it's page 1182 in your Bibles, on the table Bibles. If you brought your own Bible, it'll be different, of course. But the Table Bibles is page 1182. Uh, So now we have table number one. Is someone ready to read for table number one? Revelation 12, 7 through 9. Thank you so much for reading that. How many of you have ever read this verse before, this passage before? Okay, all right. So what is taking place here? 
What is the scenario? There is a a war. A war between who? Okay. It says Michael and his angels and the dragon and his angels, right? And so who is the dragon? Satan. The Bible tells us in that verse, doesn't it? It says the dragon is none other than Satan himself. So we see that there are these two groups that are out, out, in all-out war in heaven, right? And so we see that um, Jesus, since we're talking about Jesus on prophecy, does Jesus say anything in regards to Lucifer or Satan being cast out of heaven after this war? Well, we see in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, you can write this down, Jesus himself says... And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Right? So in other words, Jesus said, I, had, I witnessed the very, the very moment that Satan was cast out of heaven. Jesus was there. Jesus knew when it happened. And this war took place. These angels involved in combat. And Christ and Satan battling in heaven. And this brings us to other perplexing questions. We see that the devil did not prevail, did he? And he was cast out. And so what happened, uh, and here's another question that we want to think about. Why was there a war in heaven? Okay? So we know that there's all-out war that just took place in heaven of all places. But why was there a war in heaven? And where did this dragon come from? And we go to the Bible to find clues to these questions. And I'd like to invite you to turn to page 830. We're going to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 28, very fascinating chapter, because it talks about this angel named Lucifer. As we look into the heart of Lucifer himself, page 830, Ezekiel 28, 12. The book of Ezekiel gives us a glimpse into the heart of this angel named Lucifer. And it reveals what he was thinking and what was going on in his mind. And so this is very fascinating for us to look at. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 12. Uh, do we have someone from table number 2 that can read that for us? The Son of Man take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, Perfect in beauty. Mm, now this is speaking of Lucifer, right? And it's saying what? That you are the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and what? Perfect in beauty. He must have been a very majestic celestial angel. And this angel was not just any angel. This angel had a special place near the throne of God. He was the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. And we go on to read in Ezekiel 28, verse 14 through 15, it says, You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. This is God speaking of, the, of Lucifer. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. So you could picture Lucifer walking back and forth among the fiery stones. suggests someone who has existed in the midst of the glory of God. Lucifer was there in the glory of God, in the presence of God, near the brilliance of the Holy One. But something happened to this wonderful angel. And that leads us to our next question. Did God create a devil? 
Okay? Now, some people think that since God created Lucifer and uh, he went bad, therefore God created the devil. But is that true? Let's take a look at what the Bible has to say. And by the way, before we take a look at this, uh, when you purchase something that is manufactured by a company and is defective, who's responsible? Be honest, who's responsible? The company, right? For putting out a defective product, right? So they, so what do you do? You have to return and say, give me another one, right? And you don't have to pay for it because it was their fault, right? Was that the case with God? Did God make a defective angel? Okay, well, let's let the Bible speak, okay? Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 28. We're still in Ezekiel 28, right? Okay, that's page 831. Ezekiel 28, we're going to look at verse 15. And table number 3, I believe is this table with uh, uh, the two ladies there. Uh, Would one of you be willing to read verse 15 for us? Ah, thank you for reading that. Now, what does it say about Lucifer? When Lucifer was created, was he created with any defects? How do you know? It says he was perfect, right? When God created Lucifer, he created him in perfection, right? But yet something happened. What was found in Lucifer? Iniquity, right? What, so how did this happen? How did, he, how did this perfect angelic being uh, have iniquity found in him? And was it God's fault? Well, let's take a look. If in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 17, it says, Your heart, speaking of Lucifer, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. This angel, Lucifer, became focused on his, what? Beauty. I don't know if they had mirrors in heaven. But maybe Lucifer, as he was walking by a mirror, he just took a pause and he just looked at himself. Oh yeah, I look really, I look really good today. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What was that? Maybe the, yeah, maybe the reflection in the river, right? You know. And um, his pride, he got mesmerized by his own beauty, and his pride led him into sin. And how could this happen in a perfect universe? There's only one way. You see, friends, when God created all his creatures, all those who uh, he created, he created them with a concept of freedom of choice. Right? So we all have a freedom of choice. All of God's created creatures have what's called the power to choose. And you see, the reason why is because God is a God of love. What is God? He's a God of love, right? And love cannot be forced, you see. Love cannot be coerced. You cannot force someone to love you because then it ceases to be love, right? And if you take away the opportunity to love, you take away the ability of someone to truly be happy. And since God desired for every one of his created creatures to experience the utmost happiness for all his creatures, he gave them the power of choice. He wanted all his creation to love him, what? Voluntarily, right? Out of their own choice, right? 
Uh, I know that some of us here are married. Uh, did you threaten your spouse to marry you? You better marry me or else. <laughs> How would that go? <laughs> right? And God gave Lucifer the power of choice. He had the freedom and the right to choose to love God or not. And this meant he was also capable, as all of us are, to choose not to love God. Right? Because God didn't want robots when he created mankind and angels and all the other created beings. He didn't want to have someone that was programmed to say, I love you, God. I love you, God. I'll do what you say, God, because they're programmed to do it. No, that's not what God wanted. He didn't want a mere automaton. He wanted someone that can actually, out of their own choice, say, Lord, I respond to your love and I want to love you too. Right? That's what God wanted. He wanted real thinking, intelligent beings who could love and experience joy. And this could not happen without the power of choice. And Isaiah the prophet tells us that Lucifer himself chose knowingly to rebel against God and he changed. And he became the fallen angel known as Satan. Right? Once a perfect angel, no defects whatsoever. God gave him that power of choice, but Lucifer used that power of choice to rebel against God. So, Isaiah 14, verse 12 through 14, this is what God says as a result of Lucifer's fall. He says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. So there's a lot of thought processes going on in Lucifer's mind. Lucifer desired what? A higher position. He, he also coveted God's throne. He wanted to be exalted on God's throne. He also wanted rulership and dominance, which is only due to God. And that's what started it all, my friends. That's how this angel began his tragic fall. A fall that would pull a lot of other angels down with him. And we see that the Bible tells us in 1 John 4, 8 that very simply and very clearly, God is what? Love. God is love. Love is the foundation of God's government. Never force. God op operates only by free will of His creatures. We must choose Him. God is a perfect gentleman. You cannot force love. And love was all around Lucifer. But Lucifer chose to turn away from that love. And finally, turning further and further away from God, Lucifer began to see God as a rival. His twisted mind began to picture God as the enemy. And the Bible describes this result in Ezekiel chapter 28. You can look at verse 6. Look at what it says. You have set your heart as a heart of a God. Right? Lucifer Wanted, he had visions of grandeur about himself. I'd rather be God. I'd rather be worshipped. Why is it not me ruling all of heaven? And so, 
we see, try to imagine the kind of disturbance this caused in heaven. Imagine a place where jealousy and slander and malice did not exist, never existed before. And it never occurred for anyone to question the character of God because God was loving and everything seemed to be peacefully in coexistence. But then suddenly, this brilliant angel, Lucifer, this cherub so near to the throne of God, starts making subtle remarks. Not openly challenging God, but but questioning how God's doing things. He suggests that maybe, you know, why does God have to have all the glory? Why does every created being have to obey God? And he suggests that maybe there's an alternative, maybe there's a better way to run the universe, and I am the one to be the leader of that better way. Carefully, artfully, he shares this lie among all the other angels. And all the other angels start to hear, and they're starting to wonder, you know, is Lucifer right? Is God right? You know, what's going on here? And they are confused. Who to believe? And number four, how would God respond to Lucifer's challenge? Now, many wish that God could have just completely destroyed Lucifer right then and there. You know, maybe call out a thunderbolt from heaven and just destroy him right there. And that would have been the end of it, right? No more suffering, no more trouble anymore. Wouldn't that have been a good solution? Well, if Lucifer was the first person to cut himself off from God's love, then why not nip evil in the bud? Why not address uh, this this arch-rebel in a way that will prevent any further contamination of rebellion in the universe? Why not eliminate evil before it spreads to other worlds? Now, the question is, why didn't God just execute Lucifer right then and there? Is that a good question? Yeah, think for a moment. Think about what this would have been perceived as from all the other watching angels. Right? How would you interpret it if... Someone spreads lies about a king or a president of a country and the liar is executed on the spot, would this prove that the lies were false? No. Or would people always wonder if the lies were maybe true after all? God's reputation, God's credibility were at stake when Satan delivered his haughty challenges against the character of God. The question was raised, is God really just? Is his way really best? Destroying the opposition wouldn't have answered that challenge. In fact, it would have actually fed Lucifer's cause even more. As people wonder, was Lucifer onto something after all? So instead, God chose a wiser choice. What was that choice? He would allow sin to exist in the universe for a period of time. Right? For a period of time. He'll allow sin to run its course. Because think about it. Up to this point, none of the angels knew what a lie was. None of the angels knew what sin was. It was a mystery. They didn't know what sin could lead to. What the outcome of sin could be. They had no idea. They were on their early onset of innocence. But, as, but God in His wisdom says they need to see what sin can lead to. What Satan is promoting, what Satan is saying, 
his lies, see what those things lead to. So that you get the whole big picture of what sin and Satan's rebellion brings. Not happiness, but disaster. And the universe, every living being in the universe, including us, we had to see for ourselves what the results of sin are. And so we know and can confirm that all along that God is love and His way is best beyond a shadow of a doubt because that was the only way God could solve the problem of evil once and for all. He allows us to know and to see what these things would lead to. So love depends on free choice. But we do not choose to love one we do not first trust, right? Women, you have to first trust that man before you said, I do, right? God wants us to trust Him. To see His way brings joy, happiness, and security to the universe so that no one would ever think about choosing evil again. So every question must be answered. But Lucifer could not remain in heaven. So we see that the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceived the whole world. He was cast out to the earth, but not only him. Who else? The angels who sided with him were cast out with him. So, we ask, number five, how did planet earth become involved in the cosmic conflict? How did we get involved? in this great controversy between Christ and Satan. Did Satan just get dumped off on the earth? And was earth's inhabitants the first ones to say, Hey, Satan, you have no place to stay. Come and join us. Is that how it worked? What, What took place? If we look at the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, that tells, it tells us that everything was good when God created earth. Not a taint of sin existed in this world. And so question number six, we see that, of course, the first human beings, they were perfect, moral beings, capable of loving. They were also given what? Choice. That's right. They were given the freedom of choice as well. And God gave them that opportunity. How? He created two trees. Well, he created many trees. He said, out of all the trees of the garden, you may freely eat except for... One, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, you should not eat of it, for the day that you eat of it, you shall what? Surely die. Right? So God gave him that opportunity to choose the tree of life or the tree of knowledge of good and evil. By choosing to eat of the tree of life, they showed their loyalty to God. By eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they knowingly disobeyed God. Right? And so, when they choose to disobey God, they also join the ranks of Satan and his rebellion. And so, let's take a look. When Eve, one fateful day, she is wandering off. Well, she didn't wander off deliberately. But she wandered off to the forbidden tree and she found herself there. There it is. Oh, wow. I wandered off and here's this tree. And Satan, disguised as a serpent, had the opportunity to spread his lies. And God told him, on the day that you eat of that tree, you will surely die. But what did Satan say? Let's take a look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 4 and 5. It's page 3 in your Bibles, on the table. 
I believe we're on table number four, Genesis 3, verse 4 and 5. Can we have someone from table number four read that for us, please? Oh. Hmm. Wow. So what is the lie that Satan told Eve? Eve was repeating what God said about not eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? On the day you eat of it, you'll surely die. What did Eve say? Or what did Satan say? You will not surely die. Because God knows that He's trying to keep you from attaining to a higher sphere of existence, to gain more enlightenment, and God is trying to suppress you, you see? So you need to eat of this tree. You won't die. He made that lie. Right? You will not surely die. Right? And so we see that Satan was essentially saying, you will have greater happiness, Eve, if you follow me. God is restricting your freedom. And did Eve buy that lie? Did she? Yes, she did. And not only that, she got her husband to also accept that lie. And number seven, what happened to our world when Adam and Eve disobeyed? So let's take a look at what the Bible says. After Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden tree, they were filled with guilt and anxiety. This was a new feeling to them. They've never felt anything like this before. It was frightening for them. And when God came looking for them in the garden, how did they, they react? They hid from Him. They were fearful to be in His presence. And we, brothers and sisters, in the same way, have been running and hiding ever since. Just as our first fathers first father and mother fled from the presence of God, we also have that, that feeling of trying to flee from the presence of God. Today we see the results of this choice all around us. Satan's alternative is not anything like what, you, what that serpent in Eden advised. We live on a planet in rebellion. A planet full of decay and death, none of which is God's fault. And we see in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it tells us, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, thus death spread to all men, because all have sinned. Right? The Bible tells us that the decay in our world is due to man's choice to turn away from the God of life. Sin always brings death. And when sin infects, it spreads like a cancer. The only hope for our world is to turn back to Him. God has a solution for your life and mine. And we must turn back to Him. Sin produces alienation between us and God. It produces conflict and alienation between people. Even within our own families. We see the ugly results of sin taking place. The seeds of the first war was planted in the hearts of our first parents when they sinned. And the reason why there's abuse in the home and so much animosity in the world is that sin has infected the human heart. 
And when human beings are alienated from God, they become alienated from their fellow human beings as well. And sin doesn't bring anything good. Sin may bring pleasure for a moment, but it ultimately brings anxiety, fear, suffering, and death. Sin, choosing Satan's form of government, has produced the sickness and the heartache and death all around us. So, who's responsible for the suffering of the world today? You know, there's a very cool, interesting, thought-provoking meme. You guys know what a meme is? M-E-M-E. You know, sometimes you see people post on Facebook or social media, like a picture that has some caption (laughs) that's like really amusing or thought-provoking. Here's one meme that was released not too long ago. It says, so why, here's this guy talking to Jesus, and this guy is saying, so why do you allow things like famine, war, suffering, disease, crime, homelessness, despair, etc., exist in our world, Jesus? And Jesus responds, interesting that you should bring that up, as I was about to ask you the exact same question. You know, many, many people look to blame God for the suffering of the world. Many people don't believe in Him because of it, but is He to blame? And friends, if God isn't real, then who is to blame? Have the things of this earth happened just because of Him or because of us? He is not to blame. God is the one that has the solution. And so, what is that solution? And by the way, who is responsible for sin and all the suffering that exists? God? I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 13, verse 28. We're going to have the next table read. What's the next table? Table 4, read last. Table 5. Table 5. Matthew 13, verse 28, page 948. I'm sorry, I should have given him that page number. 948 in your table Bibles. Matthew 13, 28. Jesus told a parable about a story, and the disciples asked him a very good question. He talks about this parable of this man who sowed seed in his field, right? And he was, uh, it was good seed, that was, and he was expecting to have a good crop that comes up. But as the story goes, at night, the enemy of this owner of this field comes in at night, and he sows tares among the field, among the wheat, Right? And as they notice over time that all of a sudden they realize, wait a minute, didn't we sow wheat? Why do we have all these weeds come up? And what was the response? Look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 28. Uh, Can we have someone from table number 5 read that for us, please? Right. Okay, right. So we see that Jesus explains the paradox of how evil came to our world. Is God responsible for the evil in the world? If not, who did it? The enemy. An enemy has done this. And it's interesting that Lucifer's name was changed to what? What was Lucifer's name changed to? Satan. 
You know, Lucifer's name actually is a good meaning. It means light bearer. But you know what Satan means? Adversary. Enemy. An enemy has done this. Right? So we see that rather than pulling up that man and the, and the servant ask him, Lord, we see these weeds. Shall we pull them up now? And the master says, no. Because if you pull them up, you're going, to try, you're going to accidentally pull up the weeds, the wheat too. So what we need to do is wait till the harvest. Wait till the harvest, then we'll sort it out after we harvest everything. Right? And we'll divide the wheat from the tares. And so we see that God allows evil to run its course. But there will be a time of judgment where he'll address sin once and for all. Right? So, when we are perplexed and asking why there are the tragic weeds of sickness, heartache, atrocities, brokenness, we also find the answer in these words, that God is not responsible, an enemy has done this. God planted good seed. He didn't sow sickness and suffering and death. An enemy of God and man came with deception and lies, sowing seeds of destruction in the good that God had created. Jesus, through His life, love, and sacrifice, exposes Satan as the real cause of earth's evil and suffering. Satan, like I mentioned before, is known now as the adversary, the accuser of the brethren, the devil. And the Bible consistently identifies the enemy as Satan. He is the one who rebelled against God and unleashed the whole sin problem. You know, in Scripture, the Bible doesn't depict the devil as some fairy tale creature that comes around with you know, red leotards and a pitchfork and you know, has an imp-like laugh and hops around. No, he's a very real being who causes very real tragedies and is a very clever deceiver. And we see that Lucifer deceived one-third of the angels. He was cast out of heaven with them. And they knocked on the door of planet Earth. But God wanted that door to be shut. But as Satan knocked, Eve responded and she opened that door. And Satan said to Eve, like a salesperson, God is unjust. God is restricting your happiness. You'll be happier if you listen to me and partake of the fruit. And as a result of her opening that door, Adam followed her lead. As a result, sin, sickness, suffering, heartache, death, all flooded into this world. This earth got caught in a crossfire because the deceiver tricked our first parents into rebellion. And here we are today in a world of rebellion. Here we are today reaping the results of what sin brings. But you say, why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't God do something? Does He not care? And question number nine says, what incredible thing did God do for lost humanity? Some people ask, why doesn't God do something? Ah, but He has. You see, God did do something. Right there in the middle of the Garden of Eden, God did something very profound. 
And we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Still on page 3 in your Bible. And who's our next table? It's table number 7, I believe. Table number 6 is empty. Table number 7. Can we have someone from table number 7 read Genesis 3.15? What did God do for lost humanity? Ah, so we see that who is he that's going to bruise the head of the serpent? Who is he? Jesus, right? It's talking about that Jesus will come, the Messiah will come, and right there in the Garden of Eden, the Messiah, Jesus himself, promised that he would come and that he would give Satan a deadly, fatal blow, crushing the head of the serpent while the serpent nips the heel of, of him. And we see that the process, in the, in the process he'll receive a wound in his heel. We see that took place. The process of striking a fatal blow to Satan, Jesus himself will also receive a tragic wound himself on the cross. That blow would not annihilate the Savior forever, however, because we see that he would rise victoriously as our Redeemer, Savior, Lord, and coming King. And he promises you today that same victory that he gained over the grave is the same one that you and I can also be guaranteed of. How would you like, how, how would God answer Satan's challenge? How would love stand out in contrast to selfishness? The cross reveals the enormity of God's love. Christ would come, he'd be suspended on the cross, nails would be driven into his hands, hanging there between heaven and earth, he would demonstrate to the whole universe that God cares, that God loves. And in the death of Christ, we see the principalities and powers of hell cast down. And the cross reveals the enormity of God's love. We see that God would come to a world in rebellion. He would come as a baby born of the womb of Mary. He would face Satan's challenge head on. The question continues throughout the world today when people ask, why doesn't God do something if He loves us? We ask. He has. Just as Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God, you and I have done the same. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That includes all of us. Doesn't matter what our background is. Doesn't matter what our socioeconomic class is. Doesn't matter you know, how we were raised. We are all in the same boat. All have sinned. All receive what's due to them because of sin. The wages of sin is death. But we see that God did not destroy this earth. God did not destroy this world. God did not push this world into outer space. Heaven responded to Satan's challenge with love. Heaven answered Satan's questions with love. Heaven revealed that the love that had a plan for you and me clearly outlined in God's plan of salvation. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which is from the beginning of the ages that has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. What is the mystery of the ages? The mystery of the ages is, how could God love us so much? That's the mystery. 
a mystery that we cannot even begin to fathom. How could God love us so much? And we see that Lucifer challenged God's government in heaven. He accused God of being unfair. The mystery of the ages is that God loves us. The mystery is that God's love will go to any depth to save us. And there's no valley so deep, no pit so dark, where God's love cannot reach you, friends. There's no place where you can wander that God's love cannot reach you. There's no place you can run so far from Him that His love will not seek it you out. Satan is a liar when he says that God doesn't love you. He makes you feel worthless. Those are the lies of the enemy. Don't believe it. Because we see, when we look at the cross of Jesus, Jesus says, look at the nails in my hands. Satan says that God doesn't love you, but Jesus cries out, look at the crown on the thorns on my head. Satan says that Christ doesn't love, but Jesus responds, I went all the way to the cross and to the grave for you. I took the penalty of your sin upon me. He hung his head and died on that dark Friday not long ago, and he said, it is finished. And then the next day on Sabbath, in the quietness of the tomb, he rested. But the next day, the first day of the week, an angel descends The stone is rolled away. Christ comes forth alive and victorious. Hallelujah! He is risen. He is risen. And He has ascended to heaven. The good news is that He is alive today. And God has done something about the problem of evil once and for all. He has provided a Savior for those tricked into the slavery of the devil. He sent Jesus Christ to suffer and die. The question is, why doesn't God do something? He did. He entered into the snake pit of this world and with all its evil and fought in the decisive battle of human history in mortal combat to defeat Satan for you and me, for all of us. Question number 10. What is Jesus doing right now for lost humanity? Now this is a very good question. We want to get the answer to this. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, page 1150 in your Bibles. We're going to have table number 8 read this verse for us. What is Jesus doing now for lost humanity? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, page 1150. And if we could have someone from table number 8 read this verse for us, please. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. Page 1150. Okay, do we have someone ready for table 8? Ah, so what important work is Jesus doing right now, friends? He is our high priest in heaven, right? And that is a very important thing for us to understand, which we'll cover later on, why that is so important. But Jesus is our high priest, and because He is our high priest, what makes Him qualified to be our high priest? Because He can sympathize with our weaknesses. 
He was tempted in all points that we are tempted. But the only difference is, He did not what? He did not sin. He overcame every temptation, and now he can, and he can understand us, but also He can empower us to live that victorious Christian life. And therefore, because of what Jesus is doing in heaven right now, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. We can obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. Why doesn't God do something? He is doing something. Even as we meet right now, God is our Lord. He is our faithful high priest in heaven. He's pleading the merits of His own sacrifice on our behalf. Right now, His grace is available to you no matter what the situation is. And God has made that available to you through Jesus' ministry as our high priest. Are you thankful for that tonight? I am so thankful. My heart is overwhelmed with gratitude for what God has provided for us. Question number 10. Also, what will God ultimately do? Let's turn to Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. As we're talking about prophecy, what's going to happen? What can we look forward to? What else will God ultimately do? Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, page 1188 in your Bibles. Revelation 20, verse 10, page 1188. Do we have table number 9? Someone ready to read that for us? Revelation 20, verse 10, page 1188. If you're all there, say amen. If you're not there, say have mercy. Okay, mercy will be given a little while longer. (laughs) Okay, Revelation 20.10, page 11.88. What will God ultimately do? Okay, are we all there? Amen? Amen. Okay, table number 9. Take it away. Ah, so ultimately what will happen? What will happen to the devil and his angels who caused that first rebellion and that war in heaven and brought it to earth? What's going to ultimately happen to them? They will be destroyed. They'll be cast into the lake of fire, right? And they're going to be destroyed. And we see in Ezekiel 28, 18 and 19, it says, Therefore I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you. And I turned you to ashes upon the earth. You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. One day Satan will be consumed. He will be turned to ashes. He'll be gone forever. One day the universe will be clean and Jesus and his people will reign triumphantly. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Amen. And we see that the Bible, this ancient book, that has survived the test of time, tells us today that the time is coming and peace and love will only remain at the very end. Sin, sorrow, suffering, and heartache will be no more. God is love. His way is best. And one day, that He will ultimately prevail. And would you like to learn more about what the Bible has revealed about the love of God and His plan of salvation? We will continue in the series to look at the big issues of this war that has caused so much heartache and loss. And the Bible tells us so much. And we will learn why Satan has so much hatred for God and for his people. And we'll learn more about how the plan of salvation is to save people uh, has been implemented and how you and I can have the assurance 
that his offer of eternal life is real and can be ours. We'll study more about the ministry of Christ in heaven right now as our high priest. We'll study what Christ has revealed about the manner in which he'll return the second time to earth and what happens then. We'll also see what the issues are surrounding the mark of the beast and the harlot of Babylon. We'll also learn more about the glorious home of the redeemed. And also, friends, did you know that the Bible says that God will move the capital of the universe to this planet? And we'll find out what's going to, how that's going to happen, what it's going to be like. You'll find in these studies a beautiful picture of God. So much in contrast to the ugly, empty system that the devil offers. Satan rebelled in heaven, and he follows the same tactics as he does today. He leads us to rebel against God, and our only safety is to totally, completely surrender ourselves to the living Christ. It's never too late to choose God's way. Right now, we can commit to join the side of Christ in this war. We cannot close the study without giving you an opportunity to make a spiritual, special commitment to God. To the degree that you understand His love and His wisdom in dealing with the problem of rebellion in the universe, would you like to choose to be on His side in this war? If so, would you raise your hand if you say, I want to be on Christ's side in this war? Amen. Let's pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much that You did not erase this world once the, the onset of sin came to be. But instead, You've poured out all that heaven has to save lost humanity, to save us. And for that, we're forever grateful. We don't deserve it, but because of Your love and Your faithfulness to us, we gratefully receive that gift of salvation you offer us through Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you so much. And that doesn't change the fact that you love us unconditionally, no matter what we go through. I pray that you'll please be with us, Lord, as we make that decision today to be on the side of Christ in this great war taking place between Christ and Satan. May we live a life that is pleasing in your sight and give us your grace and your power to live a victorious Christian life. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.